This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Vices. Vices football helmets are different than any other helmets on the market. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision similar to a car bumper. A concept so unique, the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. The 0-1 is the top helmet at every level of football. Nearly every NFL team has starters in the 0-1, including both the Super Bowl MVP and the overall league MVP last season. Over 140 college teams, 1,500 high school programs, and hundreds of middle schools and youth teams have made the switch to the Vices 0-1 and 0-1 youth helmets. Protect your athletes with the top-performing helmets in the game. For more information about Vices technology or to request team pricing or financing options, visit Vices.com on the web, which is V-I-C-I-S.com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete, elevate the game. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is again offering coaches a free in-season football strength program. As you may recall, uh, like we've talked about in other episodes, the New England Patriots squat up to 90% of their one rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy is just to maintain, then we think we have something better for you. You can get the program once you start a 14-day free trial with Team Builder. Just reach out and tell them that you heard it from Rowdy in the RTP podcast. Or use the code RTP when you sign up for your free trial at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product uh, months ago, and we have to say that it's been a game changer for us. We especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, uh, obviously, as you guys know, power, counter, but inside zone, pin and pull, um, you know, and, and inside zone lock and seal. Um, so we can save time and be more productive with our teams and with our in-season uh, work schedule. Just Play is limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. This offer has been extended um, all the way till now. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Charles Porterfield. Coach Porterfield is the head coach at Kettle Run High School in Noakesville, Virginia. Listen as we talk with Coach Porterfield about his journey to becoming a head coach, his offensive and defensive philosophies, and of course, we talked to Coach about running power. You can follow Coach Porterfield on Twitter at Kettle underscore run. Hope you guys enjoy. We're glad to have you, man. There's uh, been a few coaches that were saying we needed to get you on, so we're jacked. We, uh, we've heard a rumor that you like to run power. I do. It's, 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 you know, I don't have any tattoos, but I told my wife if I ever got one, it would probably be uh, power right out of the eye, and it would probably be the one tattoo I would get. <laughs> well, that would be a great one to have. It would be. Let everybody you know. know, yeah. <laughs> well, Coach, let's go ahead and get it rolling. So how we always start sure. this thing is – is let you kind of introduce yourself as far as uh, kind of your football journey, the playing days to, to coaching and, and kind of how that or where, how that brought you to where you are now. Uh, sure. So, I mean, I'm not really a time I don't remember being around the game of football. Um, I'm from a really small town in, in Lee County, Virginia, in the mountains. Um, it's pretty typical small town high school. Everybody goes to the games. Everybody knows everybody that plays. Um, so my brother's 10 years older than me, so I kind of grew up, you know, in my early years of five, six, seven, eight, he was playing high school football. So it was always I was at the games, I was watching him, and, and to me he was like a superhero. You know, he was in the um, floats at parades, he was in homecoming court. So, you know, it was kind of the all-American dream. And, and at the age of eight, as soon as I could start playing, I started playing. Um, I played you know, all the way up through high school. I played at Lee High School, um, small little high school, and in, in, again, in the mountains of Virginia. Uh, got lucky enough and, and got a scholarship to go play at Elon University down in North Carolina, um, which really kind of gave me and set me on my path to, to where I am today. Um, 
played for uh, several coaches down there. Uh, Al Seagraves was the first coach I played for. And then, uh, Paul Hamilton came in for two years. Um, and then the guy that I uh, ultimately ended up playing for was Pete Limbo um, my last two years. Um, and, and, and he really uh, was instrumental in kind of showing me what it took to run a football team of how a football team should be run. And um, he was able to turn that program at Elon around um, and, and get us kind of back on our winning ways. Um, I, you know, I played for Rich Krosky, who was my offensive line coach, um, who was just a fantastic guy again, who was uh, one of those coaches that cared about you more than just as a player. Um, and that really showed me that's what I wanted to do uh, later in life. Um, I got lucky enough after I graduated from Elon, uh, I got my degree in teaching and knew I wanted to teach, but I uh, got the opportunity to coach at Allegheny College up in um, Meadville, Pennsylvania. Uh, for Mark Matlack, who uh, for my first job as a D3 coach, um, it was awesome. Uh, I lived in an apartment with, you know, four other guys who were all still college football coaches. And, um, you know, it was just a great time, great experience. And, and you know, he was kind of a grinder, but uh, he taught us how to work and, and how to recruit and, you know, how to break down film. That just how to do everything a little bit you, you need to know how to do. Um, after I spent a year at Allegheny, I got an opportunity to go back to Elon uh, as a director of football operations, uh, which was a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, I don't know if you guys have any experience with operations directing, but it is not oh, the most. I have a lot of respect for. I have a lot of respect for those people having done it for a year. Um, <laughs> uh, just everything else, uh, but if anything prepared me for the job that I have right now as a head football coach, it was being an operations director um, to just kind of peel back the curtain a college football program and to see, you know, the inner workings of it um, and really have to kind of get thrown into the fire and do it. You know, I don't have, I'm a PE major. I don't have a business degree. I don't have, you know, so it was, got thrown into the fire and, and, and had to figure a lot of things out. Luckily had good help, but um, it was an eye-opening experience. And I knew I wanted to get back out on the field. And uh, luckily Coach Limbo was still there uh, as the head coach. Um, and uh, the next year, I was able to transition to uh, being a tight end coach. I was the tight ends coach for two years. Um, he left and took uh, – Coach Limbo left, took a job at Ball State. Uh, my wife and I moved to Northern Virginia and opened Patriot High School, uh, which was a brand-new high school. I was able to kind of get lucky. My first teaching job was at a brand-new 6A high school. Um, so I got a little spoiled, I think, at the very beginning. Uh, but I was able to work with Brett Bicknell, uh, who – was probably the easiest, one of the best bosses I've ever had. Um, you know, he had been in the college ranks for years and, and just was calm and collected and, and really showed me how to run a high school program and, and how to do all those little things of, of dealing with parents and um, dealing with stat, you know, stats and just things you wouldn't think about that would be problems um, that become problems. And, and he was able to always handle those. Um, still to this day, if I have an issue, he's the first guy I, I call to, uh, help talk me kind of through it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the short story of my journey to my current position. Yeah. The, the, the football operations has to be the worst job. And we always gave our, our DFOs, um, a, a lot of, a lot of flack. It was like, everything was their fault. And it was, it was mostly a joke. I mean, we were, we kind of joked about it, it, you know, when we were giving them, giving them crap, but, um, Man, they they took a, they took the the brunt of almost everything. You know, it, it got to where uh, we got to have uh, you know sometimes movies on the planes. Well, then one time we didn't have it, and everyone's yelling at, at Tori and wondering why that we don't have the the <laughs> videos on the plane. And so oh, obviously mean, it was yeah. a joke, but it was just I'm sure still she was even stressed because because of those little things, even though it wasn't really anything she could do about it. I'm telling you, it to just it makes you think about things that you would just never even think that were would be an issue or could be a problem um you know things like are you having apple pie or are you having peach cobbler at dessert you know what movies are on the bus uh who gets on the bus first who gets off the plane first you know just those kind of things that you wouldn't even think might be an issue um it instantly teaches you that there's a chance that there might be and you got to have an answer for it um so it really helps you be proactive and, and solve problems before they become problems or try to get on top of things as quickly as possible. 
Um, again, it was, again, as being a head coach now, it was like a crash course in being a high school head football coach because you're basically doing all the other things that now you're responsible for if you're a high school head coach, but, you know, a college head coach just does not have time to do those things. Um, so, you know, they're an invaluable tool. I mean, I have a lot of respect for those people, uh, but it is not a job that I <laughs> enjoyed and <laughs> thought I was very good at. They, yeah, I remember at, at Tulsa, I mean, you know, our, our guy was awesome, Kyle Grooms. I was in his wedding, um, still a good buddy of mine, and he's one of the, the best I've ever seen. But it's like you said, the, the little things that fall through the cracks, you know, because you, you're having to remember so many things for so many people. I remember it was a, a bowl game, and, uh, you know, he, he sets, you have to set up a practice down in Texas at one of the high schools. So we're, mm-hmm. we're, I, can't, I forget, the, I think it was Kennedale High School. And we, uh, we get there, and, and next thing you know, I mean, it's like, it's like meltdown with one of our coaches. Well, he hadn't told the coach's wife and daughter where we were practicing. So they, so they couldn't find it. Sure. You know, they didn't have directions. You know, they're freaking out. So if he's trying to coach the, the, you know, his position and then, you know, he's having to deal with his wife. But, you know, something like that, that, you know, he's like, God, you know, I didn't, I didn't even think about it. You know, now he's getting ripped by one of the assistant coaches. But you're like, man, what a thankless job. You know, he did a phenomenal job of everything. But, he, you know, he forgets to tell two people – Oh yeah, we're at Kennedale High School, so we can find this. I mean, you're exactly right. It's oh nobody, yeah. I mean, I remember traffic, nobody thinks like, about them until it's something melts down, then it's on. You know, right? And I, I, you know, I always someone told me, you know, you'll enjoy your job the most when no one's paying attention to you. Um, you know, <laughs> you're like a long snapper. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, yeah, when no one is kind of paying attention to you and no one knows you're around, that's the best. You know, if somebody needs you, something's probably going on or something's probably wrong. Yeah, I'm sure that's got a lot of parallels to being a a high school head coach. And like you said, I I would think that that's kind of prepared you for that because um, as a high school head coach at most high schools, uh, you're taking on all of those things that uh, maybe not all because you're not going to fly or or take buses to uh, faraway states necessarily, but you're going to have to get buses, bus requests, and and all of that stuff with the boosters and money and getting your team and ordering. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of, of turnover from that job to uh, the, the non-football parts of being a head coach in high school. Certainly. I mean, and, and again, it's, you, you know, you combine, it's basically you get to combine both of them. You, you are the director of operations because you are the head coach. Again, it's at the college level, there's just no way that, you know, the amount of time that those guys dedicate to just the game of football and, and preparing the, the, the players to play, uh, they would have no time to, to do all those other things. You know, in high school, you know, we don't have to spend nearly as much time as, as those guys do. And, you know, we don't get to spend that much time. Uh, but you still have to kind of be able to balance and, and wear both of those hats. Um, yeah, you nailed it on the head from, you know, setting up team meals, um, you know, knowing what you know, most of the time you feed the kids to making sure that you have movies for the charter bus, uh, fundraising and budgets and ordering uniforms. And, um, you know, cause you don't have an equipment guy that does that. It's kind of on you now. Um, so again, I got very lucky. I don't know if I would have been able to handle the head transition to being a head coach. Uh, had I not had that experience for that one season. Um, but just, it was, kind of eye-opening for me one that I never wanted to do it ever again and and two (laughs) of how much it really takes to run a successful football program um from really the top down to what the programs look like um you know what the paint looks like what everything looks like and and making sure it fits that vision and and fits you know what the program should look like and what kind of those core values are and, and the direction that the program goes uh, you have to make sure that all of those things are aligned. And, and again, I don't think a lot of people uh, necessarily uh, understand that it's that big of a it's that big of a, a thing uh, to kind of have to balance and make sure everyone's on the same page. You know, everyone has the same ideas, and um, everyone's kind of you know copacetic, and, and problems are taken care of. Well, coach, then you go to you know you're going to be a head coach, and and you get to open uh, a, a new program. Uh, what was that like? Were, were you? I, I've I've got to assume it's it's pretty exciting because there's 
uh, you know, an empty slate, but uh, uh, was there some anxieties as well about um, it being a completely new program and, and, you know, trying to build it from scratch? Uh, You know, I would assume all parts of it were kind of not there at all. So I got lucky, actually. I dodged that bullet. I, I was not the head coach at the new school. Um, I was just the offensive line coach. So I got to dodge that bullet. I did not have to open the new school as the head coach. Um, I got to watch, you know, Bud McNell, who was the head coach of Patriot, deal with that. Um, and, again, he's the guy I go to still to this day if, if I have a parent issue and, and I may not know how to handle it or I, it may be new for me. That's the guy that I go to because I watched him open up a school. I watched him build a great program. Um, so I, I got lucky and dodged that bullet. Uh, my first head coaching job was at Kettle Run, where I'm at now. Um, and they had had kind of a longer tradition. It was a newer school opened in 2008, um, and they had had some success early. Uh, Jeff Lloyd was the uh, original head co- coach at Kettle Run. Uh, he had won a state championship at Manassas Park. He was very successful at Kettle Run for years and years. Um, and then got an opportunity and got to go be the head coach at Monticello. Um, there was a guy between myself and Jeff, Scott Woodleaf, and then I came on in 2000, um, 2016. I started uh, as the head coach at Kettle Run. Well, since I completely botched that question, maybe I can uh, maybe I can ask a better one now. Well, so now you go from offensive line to head coach. Uh, did you hire an offensive line coach as well, or do you coach the offensive line? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, people ask me that all the time, and the answer is always no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure I could, you know, I've coached other things. You know, I was a defensive line coach when I coached up at Allegheny. Uh, I've coached tight ends, just tight ends before. Uh, but I am kind of at home with the offensive line. That's, that's where I played my entire life. Um, so it's just a very comfortable spot for me. And, you know, I know what I want out of those guys. Um, and I know kind of what's expected of them. Um, and at this point, I feel like I handle those five guys the best. You know, that tends to be the biggest group. Um, you know, people just kind of think that uh, they're just the big guys that, that are out, you know, pushing people around. But uh, those are five guys that have to be on the same page. So um, I'm still the O-line coach. Uh, luckily, um, I have a great offensive coordinator, Brian Lowry, uh, who I was able to turn over the offensive coordinator job to after my first season. Um, the first year at Kettle Run, I called the plays and coached the O-line and was the head coach, and that was just too much. Um, I, that's Anybody that can do that, I have a lot of respect for it. That was not something I can handle. Um, you know, I think to really call plays, you got to be really attached to the back end. Um, you know, to coach the O-line, that has to be the focus. Um, so I think it's really tough to, to kind of do all those things. Uh, so luckily I was able to turn that over uh, the second and third year, and he, he's done a great job with it. So, so being the offensive line coach, and, and like you said, you turned the, the coordinator, uh, you allowed him to kind of bump up, be the coordinator, because uh, as you said, you do have to be so involved with the back end. Uh, is that something that you guys work together quite a bit game plan-wise as far as, I'm sure he knows a, a great ton about the run game, but obviously so do you. Is, is that something you guys are going to get together on the weekends as well as the other assistant coaches, but uh, you know, you kind of go through the run script, he goes through the pass script, and you guys kind of meet together? Or, or how does that work when you're game planning uh, because you are sure. so uh, specific different ways? You know, I like to give uh, my coordinators as much autonomy as they can, um, as I can. Um, I, I, we run it a lot of the same ways that, that uh, Coach McNell ran it at Patriot when I was uh, there as the O-line coach. And, um, you know, he called the plays. Uh, I helped him with the run game and the blocking and handled all that, but he handled, you know, the pass game and calling the plays. Um, that is pretty much what Coach Lowry and I do. Um, on a game plan day, you know, we'll come in on Saturday and, and the two of us will basically sit down and, and work through, you know, here's what I want in the run game and play action. And then he'll say, here's what I want in the pass game. And then we just kind of work through it that way. Um, Technology has really helped us a lot. We do a ton on Google. Um, that we can just kind of both work on scripts at the same time, um, take things out and correct things as we need to together, but we don't have to be sitting in the same room together. We can still be at home with our families. Um, so we, we have a really uh, – it's a nice situation as far as game planning goes. Um, he's good about understanding that I'm still the head coach, and sometimes I just will have my quirks and want things a certain way. 
Um, he does a great job of kind of understanding that, um, but also asking questions and then, and then really kind of evolving the offense. Um, you know, I give him a kind of a base, and, and he is free to kind of run with it after that. Coach, I was going to ask you, you know, being the offensive line coach, you know, how, how do you – how do you kind of, you know, balance between being a position coach and the head coach, you know, knowing that I, I can't just get completely immersed in just my offensive line guys, you know, obviously you're going to spend a, a lot of time or probably most of your time with them, but how do you then continue to, to, you know, put your, your thumbprints on the rest of the program and be able to balance it. So, you know, everybody feels like, man, this is, this is coach Porterfield's program. It's not just him, you know, just caring about the offensive line. He is still all about kettle run football. Uh, you know, I think it's just finding little time. Uh, you know, obviously I'm going to spend the majority of my time at practice with the O-linemen. Um, you know, always at inside run, always doing one-on-ones. Um, you know, I'm usually with those guys. So I may miss a pass go. I may miss a team screen period. I may miss, you know, a one-on-one period with the receivers and, and the DBs. Um, part of it is I really trust my staff to, to – we're all on the same page as far as where we want this program to go. So I, I trust them to, to get the job done and, and push the program the way that, that we want it to go. Um, the other way is I think the most important place is the weight room. Uh, that's when I, I get to spend the majority of my time with all the players, not just the O-linemen. You know, it's not, we don't break it up by position in there. Um, we are able, I'm able to be around everybody. So that's really when I try to focus on – uh, the team as a whole you know I do the most the most as I can at practice um, sure I would like to be able to be one of those head coaches that gets to kind of walk around and um, and put my hand in everything but I think I would annoy my staff at that point and I, I would rather them be happy than me kind of being in their business um, you know we work pretty well with me doing my thing with the O-line um, but I think just again finding time you know whether it's center quarterback exchange getting that time just to have five or ten minutes to just talk to the quarterback. Um, and it's just you and the quarterbacks, and then the centers are there, uh, but you're still getting to spend time and, and talk with the quarterbacks. Um, that's probably one of my finer memories of college. Uh, Warren Rosario was uh, my offensive coordinator in college for the last two years. I was at Elon, and I will never forget those times just at, before practice talking to him, you know, about the offense or life, whatever it may be, um, at center quarterback exchange. And, you know, he was a quarterback's coach in the OC, and, but I really felt close to him just because of even that five or ten minutes a day. Um, so I think it's just trying to find those times to be around kids, whether it's in the hall or a different time during practice or in the weight room, um, you know, and just kind of have to work to generate those moments with kids. Coach, the other question I had too then was, you know, you become a head coach and were there any jobs that maybe you weren't looking forward to and all of a sudden now you're kind of like, wow, that, that's actually kind of cool. I actually enjoy that. Or were there maybe some part of the job where it was like, uh, okay, I'm kind of looking forward to this as being a head coach, and now maybe you loathe it a little bit. Were there any, like, surprises for you? You know, again, as, as well as the operations job prepared me for it, I think, you know, anytime you walk into a new situation, I think anytime you're in charge um, and, and people put that label on you, things are going to pop up that you're not prepared for. Um, you know, and I think anytime you're dealing with a team and, and there's – 80 plus people or 80 plus players on it. And, you know, if you think every player has, you know, at least one and a half parents or two parents, that's a lot of people that can affect your day. Um, So I think that was probably the thing that was the hardest to get used to at first um, was just being so connected to so many other people. Because again, it's just the offensive line coach. You got your guys, you got their parents, but you don't, you don't have to think about everybody else. You know, as the head coach now, it's, it's everyone that, you know, the program touches, you have to be concerned about, you know, how the program looks to that person. Are they being treated well? Um, are they having a good experience? Um, so I think that was the biggest challenge and, and kind of the place I've grown the most. Um, it's trying to balance those things out and, and really look at it as a, as a whole and not just, you know, the O-line or, or that small group. Um, you know, I, I say all the time, I, I don't, I love being a head coach, um, but I don't know if I'll ever be a head coach anywhere other than Kettle Run. Um, you know, I don't think I'm chasing a, another head coaching job, um, but my OC, Coach Lowry, always jokes and says that, you know, it would be very tough to come back and not be in charge now, and I think I'm understanding that a little bit more. I think it would be, be tough to go back and not kind of have things running the way that I want them run and, and 
um, having a staff that's so on board uh, with my vision of the program and, and, you know, pushing it the way that we want it to go. So I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, and then and then like you said, you get to be with the uh, uh, by your choice, but you get to still stay with the offensive line. So you still get uh, probably all the same things that that kind of brought you to that. Um, and then it always seems like to me that the other tough part, uh, at least from the outside looking in, for for a head coaches is now not only are you managing your players and their parents, now you're managing your coaches, which is such an important thing. And and um, you know, as far as obviously you want to keep them happy, but if they're not good, you want to get people that are better in. Uh, but you got to manage that, and then you also need to, uh, which I've always thought would be a, a weird deal as a head coach. Uh, you always hope good things for your assistants, and you hope that they go on and want to be head coaches, and then you kind of spread your coaching tree out. But you also would probably, maybe not rather, but you'd also really, really like to keep them on your staff because uh, they are doing such a good job. Uh, has it been difficult to manage maybe all those feelings or, or um, you know, all those different thoughts and, and being able to not only manage your players but have to manage, obviously, your coaches as well? You know, that that was probably, I'd say, the biggest change uh, for me taking a head coaching job was to, to be in charge of adults. Uh, in that capacity, you know, right. when I first started coaching, yeah, um, you know, just, you know, to be the boss, uh, I think, you know, people would ask me uh, a question, and I, you know, I would say, yeah, you know, it's, you know, I don't really mind which, whatever way you want to do it, and they're like, well, you know, you're the head coach, that's, you got to make that decision, uh, so I think that was new, like, the, just that being in charge, and, and having older people, you know, some of my original staff was, they were you know, 20 years older than I was. So um, I think getting over that initial, I'm young. Um, this was my first head coaching job. Uh, again, the staff I have now, those guys are fantastic. Uh, I only hope that they go on and, and do better things. I think it would be selfish of me to say, you know, part of me and, and internally wants them to stay around. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if that's reality. I wish it was, but um, I think that would make life a little too easy. Uh, so I, I, you know, I hope those guys push out and I think that some of them will and, and, and get other jobs. And, um, I hope they're always going to be comfortable coming and telling me that. Um, but I would say that was the toughest was managing, you know, the staff, keeping people happy, you know, moving people, asking people to change positions or, you know, asking people to change roles. Uh, you know, those are hard things to ask people, um, so I think that learning to do that and, and be okay with that and um, learning that that's just kind of part of the job, you know, it's not a great part. That's not the part that anyone probably looks forward to. Um, but in order to run a successful program, those are just things that, that have to get done and, and need to get done. You kind of mentioned it a little bit, you know, hoping that your coaches are open enough to come, to come talk to you about another job and, and kind of want to pose this to you and coach walls. Cause Walls has been a head coach as well, and, and I think there's a lot of assistants out there that, that kind of – they don't really know, right? Because you don't want to tell your head coach every few weeks that you're, hey, I'm going to go talk to these coaches uh, or interview because maybe you're not really even thinking about taking it. Um, you just kind of sure. want to interview because you hear a lot of times, hey, you should interview a bunch, and that way you kind of get comfortable with that and you do, do a good job. Is there – and maybe you haven't thought about it at all, but, but to both of you, is there – uh, maybe a time or, or situation where you would like to be told, hey, I'm looking here or there, and is there still a time where there's probably no need to tell them up until a certain point? Uh, Coach, go ahead. Well, I think for me, I mean, I, I, I'm all about the, the communication piece. I mean, for me, it's not going to be, you know, a shot, a shot at my ego or a shot at the program. You know, I've, I'm hoping that I've I've hired a guy that, you know, is, is going to be honest with me and, and open with me and be able to communicate all the things that are going down. And, and if it, if it's their goal, I think, you know, sitting down with them and figuring out right away too, what are their goals? If they want to be a head coach, then, then I'm going to, I'm going to kind of try to push them towards some of those things if that is their ultimate goal. So I'd, I'd want them to be as honest with me as possible. Um, and then if I had a guy who, who maybe, I thought was going to be pretty good and then it wasn't going to work out. I would also try to be honest with him and saying, you know, you, you should really start looking for some, for some jobs too. So I think for me, the, the honesty and openness would be the, the best policy for me. Yeah. You know, I a hundred percent agree. Uh, 
I hope that, and in, in the past, you know, the, the short time that I've been at Kettle Run as a head coach, uh, the couple of times that the situations have come up, my staff's done a great job of, of kind of being open and in front with me. And I've hoped I've pushed that image to them from the get-go because I think that just makes things significantly easier when you're just up front. Again, like Coach said, it's not going to take a hit to my ego. Um, it's for the program. Uh, ego, uh, you know, I don't think you're – if you're unhappy and a person is leaving because they're unhappy, then, you know, maybe that's the right decision for everyone. Um, you know, if a guy comes up and says, hey, I really want to be a head coach, a lot like Coach said, I want to push that guy. I want to maybe give that guy some extra um, – you know, maybe ask that a little bit more of that guy, give him some other responsibilities uh, to let him get a little bit of taste of it before he jumps into it and, and just there be upfront. You know, these are things that, you know, you're going to hear or things you're going to have to deal with in these situations. Um, so just hopefully if that person does get a job and, and, and starts their own program, um, they won't be starting from zero. They'll have some base of where to go and, and at least something concrete to kind of move forward on. That's a. I think you make a great point there. I think that's that's huge. You know, knowing knowing what their goals are, then finding some ways to to kind of try to to help those guys out. I think that's that's an absolutely huge thing. And I think as you're sitting there talking, I'm 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 thinking about it too. It's like you know, part part of my vision. You know, if I ever run a, a program again, is you know, just letting kids know and letting coaches know flat out that it's it's not about me as the head coach. It's not about you know one coach or you know, a great play caller, or we have a great athlete, you know, hopefully we're building the program to where as a whole, it's going to be able to survive when a great senior class graduates, it's going to be able to survive when a great offensive coordinator goes on and gets a head job and, and being able to look at that through the correct lens of man, we're, we're losing people because we're really good, you know, and, right. and, you know, I think having that mindset of it, like, Hey coach, best of luck to you. But if, if you're in the same league as us, we're going to beat your ass. You know, or, right. you know, I, I think you, you're able to absorb those things very, very easily when the program rolls. I know when Tr Coach Trimble would be losing all these good coaches, it, it wouldn't even skip a beat. Boom, the program just rolls on. Next thing you know, they're in the finals again. So I think, you know, it, instilling that mentality to your kids like, hey, man, it's not about hatred. We're happy for that, for those people. And understanding that our program's really, really good. That's why they want these people. And you guys are going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Uh hundred percent. Uh, yeah, I try to tell my guys all the time, you gotta, you gotta understand, like get to that point that you understand that things are going to be okay. Um, you know, as long as you do the right things, you know, you work hard, you show up to stuff, you, you act right, you behave, you paint the program in a good light, you do everything that you need to do to be the best football player you can be. And usually things will take care of themselves and, and you don't have to worry about, you know, those external things of is a kid transferring in, is a kid leaving? Um, is a coach leaving? Is someone taking this job? Is someone taking that job? You know, I think in this day and age of, of social media and, and instant news, um, you know, you hear things instantly of, you know, your rival down the street has X amount of players now, or, you know, this coach went there and said this. And, um, you know, just trying to make sure you, you hear a lot. And sometimes you can hear a lot of negative things. So, again, yeah, just convincing, you know, whether it's your coaching staff, the school as a whole, you know, your administration, the kids that, you know, things are going to be okay. You know, we're going to do it the right way and, and we'll be okay because we're going to do it the right way. Coach, you said a few times, you, you mentioned the word, you know, vision, your vision or our vision, the vision of, of Kettle Run football. What, what kind of is your, your vision? And then the, the second question I'm going to say, and, and it's kind of become one of my go-tos now, but you know, Hey man, your day one install on offense, you know, what, what's the first run play or the first thing that you're putting in, in your offense? Cause I always tell Harper that that's what, that's what says a lot about you as a man. What's your first run play that you're installing? Sure. I'm sure you could probably already guess what it will be, but um, you know, for me, the program, you know, when I was at Elon as a player um, in kind of those formative years of, of being a college football player and, and going through that and then kind of seeing that I wanted to be a coach and, and, developing a relationship with Coach Skrosky, who is my O-line coach there, um, that really kind of changed me as a person and, and got me to where I am to today. Um, no, I just – sorry, I lost my train of thought, guys. <laughs> I was thinking about running power, you know. I was trying to answer the other <laughs> Let's question. jump to that. That's the best uh, part of it anyway. You can talk about your day okay. one install then. Okay, we'll talk about the day one install. 
Um, so day one, the first play we're going to put in is just true. You know, we're a 21, we're a base 21 and 11 personnel team. Uh, we'll dabble in a little bit of 20 uh, and a little bit of 22 on the goal line and short yardage. But the first thing we're going to put in is, is just true power. Uh, two back uh, power, you know, for the most part, base day one, we're going to be, we're going to have a tight end and a fullback on the field. Um, so we're going to be running pretty traditional, like you would see it in any book, power. Coach, do you guys see much 21 and 11, uh, 21 personnel uh, in your league? Uh, we don't, honestly. And, and for us, it, you know, we're a 4A high school. We have about 1,200 students. Um, we have a decent amount of kids on, in the program and, and they're doing a great job. Um, but for us, we have to find a way to compete with some teams that have a few more kids, uh, a, few more, a few better athletes than we may have. Um, so being a 21 personnel team has really given us that ability. I'm not an option guy. I've never been an option guy. Uh, and it would be really hard to sell me on one of the option. Um, so for me, it's how we can run the option, how we can put teams in a bind, how we can create mismatches, um, how we can make teams struggle to practice is by having a tight end and a fullback on the field at the same time. Uh, one, the majority of teams we see are spread teams. Uh, they're 10 and 11. Um, it's hard to practice if you don't have a kid that's a fullback, a true fullback, or a true, you know, in-line, hand-down tight end. Uh, it's hard to manufacture those kids in three days and teach them how to run all those plays the way that, you know, our kids eventually will learn how to run it. Um, so for us, it gives us an, a, a pretty steep advantage, I think, being able to get into, you know, some of those heavier packages and personnels um, that, you know, teams are in the area we just don't see. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say exactly. That's uh, one of the big, you know, at Broken Arrow, uh, where I'm at, we're in 21 personnel, base out of 21. And like you said, we'll get into some 22 and, um, you know, 11 and that. But when we're in 21 or 22, it's just uh, there's almost no teams that will go any 21. And especially, I think, maybe zero, maybe one other team in 6A that will go under center 21 personnel. And so when, when teams see us, uh, it's the only time they see it all year, just about. And so, like you said, their ends aren't really used to squeezing uh, it at times. They're not used to taking on a fullback. They're not used to uh, how to fit, you know, power with a tight end and a fullback. And so it gives us such a great advantage. And you're not letting these, uh, you know, these four defensive backs just sit back there and, and play, you know, match read and, and, and all this. They're, they're having to come up. They have to make plays. You're going to put – uh, two receivers on one side and and make a corner make a tackle on a tailback and so uh, it, it would it's been a huge uh, huge advantage for us because uh, like you said we're not going to run option uh, but this gives us a formation that um, back in the back in you know 10 15 years ago maybe it wasn't an advantage right now uh, it's an advantage because of how much spread how much 20 personnel uh, that we see throughout the weeks yeah you know we had a we have a it's a running joke between, you know, myself and Coach Lowry. We have a lot – you always hear parents talking or whatever it may be um, that our offense is boring. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it is boring. Mm. But it works, you know. And it's boring because, yeah, we don't – we're not in spread. We're not throwing, you know, 35 bubble screens a game. Um, we don't have those type of kids. Um, I can't – we can't throw 40 bubbles a game or a screen and we can't run four verts and – uh, you know, that's, we're not productive doing that. Um, well, yeah, you talk, while, from, a, from a fan, it is probably boring. But as a coach, honestly, I've gotten to where I turn on – I won't even hardly watch college football almost anymore uh, because – and me and my other offensive line coach talk about it all the time. We get bored watching every team be in 10 personnel and run bubbles and run uh, GT counter, and, and some of it's kind of cool, but uh, it, it – for us as, as offensive line coaches, we just talk about, man, how boring would that be to be in practice every day with that? And, and uh, to watch it's boring. And then you get to see some of the big teams and some of the NFL teams. That's when it's cool. What kind of run schemes are they running? How are they influencing guys? And, and um, as a coach, uh, as much 10 and 20 as we see, that's where we start getting really bored watching those teams. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's no doubt. I can only, you know, you can only watch the team run inside zone or throw bubble and then not block anybody, you know, for so long. It's amazing. It always shocks me how often that happens. The teams would just throw bubbles but refuse to block people. And I wouldn't want to be that kid, you know. I was an offensive lineman. I certainly wouldn't want to go catch bubbles and 
have four guys running down my throat. Um, you know, I'd rather be the tailback who's getting spit to the free safety and it's one-on-one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, running a gap power and just having it split. And, you know, it's you and him, um, you know, it's that safety has got to make that tackle 25 times a game. That's, that's not a fun day for that kid. That's right. Um, not Especially. when he's used to playing spread teams. That's exactly right. When he's when he's not used to it, twenty times is is uh, is tough for him. My other big question is, and what's we what we kind of always had ran it, run into in the past is, who does uh, who coaches your fullbacks? Uh, that's where they kind of get lost, in, in my opinion, in in our day to day practice, or at least are in our individual because uh, tight ends can kind of work with offensive linemen, or they can go with receivers depending on what we need them for that day. But fullbacks is uh, you know, do they go with the tight ends? Do they go with the running backs? It's always kind of, to me, a, a toss-up. So how do you guys get those guys worked in in practice? You know, yeah, it's, that's a challenge. Uh, you know, I know anytime you look up a practice schedule online, you never see, you know, a breakdown of what's the fullback doing. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's you know, right. Everybody has every other position, but no one's got an app on there anywhere trying to figure <laughs> out what that kid's doing. Um, you know, and it's like you kind of like you said, Coach, it's, there's some juggling between those guys. Um, you know what they need to get a little bit of ball security they need we, we run a little bit of fullback dive as, as a change up so they need to be able to run do some ball security things they need to be able to catch routes out of the backfield um, so we try to get them at you know at least with the first 10 or 15 minutes with the running backs um, to, so they can do their everyday stuff you know their ball security their you know um, handoffs all those kind of things um, and then usually they'll come with me and the tight ends in the line you know we'll we'll try to do um, you know, once we're kind of done with our O-line stuff, we'll, we'll do a, a run period um, where it's just the O-line and the tight end and the fullback. And, and we're just kind of walking and talking through things and, and making sure that those, you know, seven guys are all tied together. Um, I think it's important for all those guys to, to work together and be on the same page. Um, you know, and then eventually we'll bring the backs over and, and put it all together before we go to inside run. Um, but it, it is a challenge, and it's kind of a daily thought of, of making sure that the fullbacks are, are doing what they need to do and, 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 you know, making sure they're getting enough time in the run game and getting enough time at Pascal and getting enough time carrying the ball. Um, you know, there's, it is a little bit of a juggling act, but having those guys has been a huge benefit for us. Coach, is there anything you do special? to kind of make, you know, the, the fullback position, you know, a, a focal point of the offense, obviously it's going to be important when you, when you're a power running team and you run some, some fullback dive or fullback trap, you know, are there some things that you do to help like identify those guys or, you know, do you call them something special? Do you have special things for them? Cause I think, you know, obviously it can be like an extension of the offensive line, you know, but some of their collisions are going to be a, a little bit more, you know, a little bit more force behind it, obviously, if you run an ISO and you're taking a five-yard run at somebody and having to blow that thing up. You know, what, what are some things you're doing to maybe ID those guys, develop those guys, and, and make it kind of a special position? You know, for us, it's, we, we've been lucky. We've had, we've had a, some really good ones in the past, and, and they've just kind of, you know, kettle run in the past was not a 21 personnel team. There wasn't really – we don't have one of those what you would think of a traditional fullback. You know, I would love to have a – Six two, two hundred and thirty-five pound kid. We would probably run ISO if I did, but we don't run ISO. Um, you know, just because I don't have that that bodied fullback. Uh, for me, the kid needs to kind of be able to do everything. Um, they need to be able to block. They don't need to be able to kill people. Um, you know, they don't need to be able to to blow people up. You know, I think teaching that kid how to position block. Um, you know, how to fit people up the right way. How to put their head in the right spot. Um, you can get away with having a smaller kid there. Um, you know, we run a ton of naked, so that kid gets to catch a ton of balls in the flat, basically with no one covering him. So he's, they're going to score, you know, seven or eight touchdowns a, a year just catching nakeds. Um, so I think, you know, they understand that. They understand how important, the, you know, the, those blocks on power are. So towards the end of the year, you know, we may throw the shovel pass in to the fullback, you know, if we're in 11, or we may, you know, put the fullback dive in. You know, that was my treat to the fullback this year. Um, our fullback, I kind of told him I would never give him the ball as a running back. Um, but our last game, we put fullback dive in, and he ended up scoring a touchdown. So it worked out. Uh, that's in, It's in the playbook for this whole season, this upcoming year. So, um, you know, just trying to find ways to, to make sure, like you said, Coach, that that kid knows that he's important. 
um, you know, we run a ton of motions. We think that, that that's a big part of our offense is um, moving that kid as much as we can. And for us, um, you know, everything is conceptually based. Um, you know, once they kind of know how to block a, what I would consider just a true gap scheme and block power, I think everything else builds off of that. So you can kind of move people around and get into different formations. And ultimately, not the picture never changes. Um, it looks different to everyone else, but it's the same for us. Um, so, you know, that kid gets to move around and we give him some freedom in motions. Uh, you know, we may tell him where to end up. So he gets some freedom in where he lines up initially. Um, you know, we don't let him go line up at number one. That's his one rule. It's like, cannot go be number one, the number one receiver. Um, but, you know, he can move in from anywhere he wants. So he gets a little bit of freedom to kind of do things like that. So, again, it's a little bit of a special position. So I think, you, like you said, Coach, you got to give that kid some things. You know, you may not hand him the ball, you know, maybe – two or three times a game you may throw them two or three passes but um you know they are really the most vital part to our success in our offenses having that kind of fullback guy in in on our team we've been at, at my high school pretty lucky the past four or five years with fullbacks i think that uh you know i think maybe it's not as tough of a position if you find maybe the uh what we try to look for is is the guy that played offensive line as an eighth grader uh but didn't grow in he is a ninth, tenth, eleventh grader. Um and, and we try to put a guy like that. And sometimes we'll have a little bit better athlete than that. But um, you know, more of a sawed off guy. I think you can kind of do some things still with fullback where I think one of the most difficult positions to find uh for us anyways is uh is a tight end, a true tight end, because uh even if you've got that kid on the team, he's probably not gonna play tight end for you. I mean, maybe he is for us anyways. Maybe he is. Maybe we get really, really lucky. But if he's if he looks like a uh, a Gronkowski type guy, he's probably playing defensive end, starting defensive end for you as a sophomore, right? And it's important there as a sophomore. And so maybe you play him some tight end, but you're not going to get him much. And then if he's that good at blocking, uh, you probably don't have two tackles that are better than him. You're probably going to have to bump him in and and put a little bit of weight on him and and have him play tackle. So that's the position I think for us, anyways, that. Uh, is such a difficult position to um, especially grow a kid from sophomore on. And, and more more of the time, it's finding the sixth best offensive lineman and shaping him into a tight end or the third best defensive end or fourth best linebacker and, and trying to mold him in. And unfortunately, it's not a lot of times bringing a kid that's a, a sophomore and, and continually working him over three years, although we do have some. But uh, most of the time, it's it's kind of a grab bag type of kids at tight end. Yeah, and for us, it's, it's been similar. You know, the first two years we were there, the tight end was uh, our defensive end, and, and the second year he was our he played middle linebacker for us. He he, he went on and he's playing at, at Christopher Newport. Um, you know, he, he played some tight end, and, and he was not a traditional tight end. He was a good sized kid. Um, you know, certainly not a one of those. You see on a Saturday, you 6'6", 235-pound kid. Um, you know, I think those kids are, like you said, Coach, that's one of the hardest positions to find. Um, I think that's why so many people are trying to find basketball kids, that they can, you know, that power forward or that center that's, you know, maybe a six foot four kid, 230-pound kid. Like, well, you might not get any Division one basketball offers, but, you know, there's certainly money for you playing, <laughs> playing right. football. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of those kids – at the Division One basketball level, but there certainly are at the next level playing college football. Um, and this past year, we used a kid that was it was actually our two defensive ends. One was our fullback and one was our um, tight end in 21. And then we used a completely different kid in 11, um, who was a little bit of a smaller kid. Um, so that's kind of how and, – and we so we changed the system every year and just tried to find a way we could balance it. You know, to get whatever that kid, you know, we would love, sure, I would love to have a tight end that's running, you know, seams and, you know, catching 100 balls. I've not had that kid. Um, kind of like you said, it's it's that kid that can get out and catch a couple balls, but is also really your your other, your next best blocker. Um, you know, I think it's important to try to find that kid. And, 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 you know, I think every lineman, when you tell them they get a chance to be a tight end, you know, <laughs> you know obviously that's like a pipe dream for most of them. They get very excited. Um, you know, that they might get to play some tight end. So I think, you know, trying to find it that way and, and, and a lot like you think that's, that's how we've done it in the past is trying to find whoever that kid is, um, whether it's recruiting a baseball kid or trying to get a basketball kid to come out. Um, 
but I, you know, like most places in America, I don't know if there's too many of those kids walking around the halls. If I was going to go back and I was coaching college again, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but the state of Iowa has just tight ends all over the place from, from what I've seen. I mean, we, we have four of them right now at Ankeny and I'm not saying they're all D one, but I mean, they can all, they can all do things and they're athletic. And I mean, you see the university of Iowa, I mean, they're, they're plucking dudes from, from all over the country now, but there's just so many, so many kids that they're able to take, you know, that frame, like you've described, you know, be it a, a basketball kid or, Maybe it's a big receiver. You know, you, you see a lot of the, mm-hmm. the kids that get passed over at receiver because, you know, they, they go to a camp and they run 4-8. Well, it's like, well, coach, this kid's a, a four-sport athlete. He's never been really in the weight room before. I mean, he's, he's lifted and all that, but hasn't sure. actually put on any weight. And all of a sudden, boom, the kid blows up when he, when he goes to college. So, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know what it is, man, but there's, there's all kinds of those bodies around here and, and those types of kids that, Literally every year I've been at Ankeny, we've had m- multiple tight ends, and it's been a lot of fun. So it's knock on wood. I hope it continues, and, and honestly, we're continuing to find those bodies. But, man, if I was a college coach, I'd, I'd be all over Iowa to find some tight ends. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it's such a unique skill set that, you know, you have to have to play at that level at that position nowadays. You know, it's you got to be big. you got to be able to run. you got to be able to jump. you got to be able to catch. you got to be able to run routes you got to be able to block. You know, they really ask everything of that kid. I mean, I think people don't give those kids a lot of credit. Um, those are some of the most gifted athletes on the field, uh, just because, you know, the combination of size and speed and what all they're asked to do. Um, so, yeah, I think anytime you can find that kid, your, your team is going to be significantly better if, if that's what you're doing. Coach, so you guys run, uh, you know, 21 personnel, you're running power. Do you guys run uh, – I know you said you're getting a little bit of 11. Are, do you guys run some one-back power as well? And if so, is that um, – do you guys have to kind of call that a different play so that, that your guys know they don't have a fullback? Or um, is it fairly similar to your 21 personnel power if you guys run it? So, you know, and again, I think when we teach it day one, I, uh, we teach it – conceptually like here is how this is power this is a gap scheme um we don't call it anything different if we want to block it in 11 um they usually the guys just know that the fullback's not there you know they understand know that the personnel call that the fullback is not in the game that that we're in 11 um we'll also usually we'll have the f just tell them um like hey I'm, i'm right here um so so that's usually how we communicate it um, and, and we're usually a, a off the ball, um, you know, that, that F for us, that fullback in 11, not ever in the backfield. He's a wing or he's the nub if it's a trio set, you know, trips with a close side. Um, you know, so, so he's able to just wall guys off and, and he doesn't have to be a killer. Um, you know, if we teach that kid just to, you know, bite that inside armpit, put your head inside and wall that guy off. Um, so, so we've been able to get, get away with that in the past, not having to call it anything different. We, we try to limit the amount of verbiage, um, you know, that kids have to say in the huddle. Coach, what are some things you guys do then, you know, with, with your power? Obviously, you, you've mentioned some nakeds. I would assume you guys probably run some power pass. Um, what, what are some of the, the complementary plays you guys run with your, your gap schemes, either to protect them, you know, get somebody out of the box or put somebody in conflict? Sure. We run, I mean, really the whole gamut of, of gap scheme stuff. I mean, we're traditional, we run power, um, we run counter, uh, we run power read. So those are our three base run plays. Um, you know, we ran a little outside zone the last couple of years. It's not great for us. We're, we're going to go to pin and pull, uh, run a little more pin and pull next year. Um, you know, I think zone is great if you have a back, it's a good zone back. I think you have to have a, a, a different kind of tailback um, to make zones work. Um, and, you know, I haven't had those kids yet, but I have kids that we can give them um, a pretty concrete rule of, of an aiming point where they need to hit uh, for power counter and power read to open up. Um, so so we, we try to do as much as we can with those three plays, um, whether it's uh, if we're running power in 11, um, we may read the front side in instead of blocking the front side in and just arc the F. I mean, almost read it like fear. Um, if we're in, uh, if we're on counter, we can run it both with the F and the guard or with the true counter GT with the guard and the tackle. And, you know, for us, that's just a simple play tag um, that they know that the guard and tackle are pulling instead of the guard and the F. And we'll run it both ways from 21 as well. 
Um, Power Reed has really was great addition for us this past year. Um, you know, I think that just puts the end in such a bind. Um, it's really inexpensive for us. We don't have, it's no new teaching. Um, you know, yep. we can tell our guys up front, hey, you're running power. This is kind of the flow of things because the read's a little bit different, but conceptually, they know how to block power. Um, so they're going to run that, that kind of con- that gap concept so many times. They're going to get to see so many different pictures and how to handle movement and stunts and twists and, and weird looks, um, you know, because really for us, counter is the same. We're just switching the guard and the fullback. Um, you know, that's basically, you know, those two guys are just switching assignments. Um, so, again, it's really inexpensive for us. It gives us some ways to protect it and spit the ball different places on the field. Um, Power Reed gives us a way now to get the ball out to the perimeter. Um, so, really, those are, our, that's our, those are our three big things. Coach, do you teach your guards to skip or open pull? And then on Power Reed, uh, if that end crashes, are you teaching your guard get around the end? Or are you saying – hit up in there and, and make sure that, you know, and, and try to work inside the end every time uh, and, and just try to work into that linebacker. So we skip pull. So if we're, anytime we're going to wrap to the second level, I, I have the guy skip pull. Um, and, and usually I teach it. It's a skip shuffle, and, and we want to strike a match off the tackle or the whoever the last down block is, the last guy in the combination. We want to run as tight to that down block as we can to eliminate being hit inside out by the linebacker. You know, we want to make sure we want to force our heads on the inside, not give that linebacker any space to fit um, so that we can make sure that we keep the ball in the A gap. Um, we want to make that kid play it wrong. Um, so if, as long as we can, and, you know, I've in the past, I've had kids ask to trap pull. Um, I, I don't, I think it's hard for guys to make that turn. It's a little bit like turning the Mack truck. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. You know, it's just tough. That's a tough angle to turn. Um, I think skip pulling, keeping your shoulders square, and if you got to take an extra shuffle to get around some some garbage, um, and then being able to insert now vertically if I'm that pulling guard, um, not run a big loop, you know, where that linebacker can fit it right, um, you know, force that kid to fit you outside. So if he gets the Sorry, end, so say if the end crashes, then is he going to you know is he trying to bang bang the end back out with you know his outside? So yeah, if we're, if we're running hard. Uh, Power read. So, yeah, if we're running power read, if that end is squeezing hard, he, he is going to block for the quarterback. So, he is going to try to run inside out of that end and, and pry that, that A-gap open, um, ideally. Um, now, if that happens, hopefully the, the quarterback is, is giving it. Is giving um, it, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we've not, we've not run into a ton of that. And we've, we've had a decent amount of success just – if that kid sees the kid scrape or squeezing hard to just try to put his head inside and keep that kid from really compressing that gap, and that gives the quarterback at least a, a lane to run through, say if he does make the wrong read or if they're, you know, scrape exchanging it, and he does pull it. Yeah, I like that a lot better, it's simple for the fact, like you're saying, because the defense can use your rules against you. You know, the end, the end slow plays it, and they scrape exchange, so now I hand off the sweep and we got nobody blocking him, you know, saying – Especially when you run it to like an open side and you're, you're not, you know, looping a fullback or something for the scrape exchange player. So I, I think that's a, a much better way to run it. And, you know, obviously, if yeah, that you know, walked up, he's walked up on the line of scrimmage, the end's going under anyway, the tackle collected. 100%. Um, yeah. And at that point, if it's, it's kind of undressed, the tackle's got to kind of know I got to slow down and take this and, and, and we'll read. You know, we teach our kids, you know, tackle gives an easy call. We know we're just going to move the read out if there's a blitzer that walks up on the line, and we'll read that kid, and, and we'll block the end. Um, but, again, being able to kind of keep it true to the principles, I don't think, you know, if you leave that in and the guard tries to go outside of it and, and say the quarterback does give it, the guard's never, unless your guard is really good, probably not going to get out and get around in, in front of that linebacker. Um, you know, I, I, I would feel like you'd end up having more holds or, or blocks in the back than you would good blocks on that play. Coach, so there are so few teams, it seems like, in college that, that run 21 personnel and, and run power and, and uh, pr- you know, have different ways to protect it and different things. But uh, those are obviously who I'm always excited to watch, and, and I'm sure you are as well, looking for new things. So what are some of the teams, or, or maybe it's not even college, but I would assume, you know, what are some of those teams that you try to watch for, you try to get film of um, to, you know, try to – help better your your offense for it's north dakota state for me you know all the way that's you know usually the minute the season's over 
Um, you know, I, I'm trying to find as much North Dakota State film as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, they're they're running with as many fullbacks and tight ends as you can. You know, they're living and dying on play action, and they're running. You know, power. They run a little bit of counter. They're running some great pin and pull stuff where they're pulling the center and and, and changing some reads with the ends nowadays. Um, so that's really the team that I go to first. Um, and then it's just looking for good offensive line play, you know, whether they're a 10 personnel team an 11 personnel team, just trying to find teams that, you know, I think the offensive lines are, are great. You know, I think Ohio state has been great to watch in the past. Um, obviously the Alabama teams have been great to watch in the past. Um, Shepard, which is a, a division two school, uh, you know, in West Virginia, um, you know, they, they run a lot of 21 and 11 and, you know, they're running a lot of power encounter. Um, you know, they've been great to watch. It's close, and those coaches have been super helpful um, for us just because, again, you don't, you don't have – a lot of teams aren't running it. Um, I think you're seeing teams go to it a little bit more now. Like you said, Coach, earlier, um, it's becoming that way for teams to kind of set themselves apart where they might be the only team running it in the district or in the region, and it really gives them an advantage. Um, so I think you're seeing – I think that's why teams like Stanford, you know, Wisconsin – uh, Michigan State, those kind of teams that may not have the same type of athletes as Alabama or Clemson are able to generate, you know, successful programs because they're running things that you know, they can find kids to run, they can teach it, um, and it works. It's, it's worked since football started. Uh, you know, it, it'll work till football stops. Um, that's kind of why I think power is the best place on the planet. Yeah, I, I think uh, Kansas State's going to screw us over here in the next five years. I think uh, we won't be the only book on the shelf anymore once they come through. And and I, I really do – not that I'm much of a predictor. I've been wrong about almost everything in my life. But um, I, I really think Kansas State with those – with North Dakota State staff coming through, uh, I think they're really going to change up the Big 12. And, and when, you know, more and more teams see that, and, then, and that's kind of the way it'll start rolling, I, I truly believe that. You know, and you've seen the, the, the change in the NFL game of, of compressed sets and trying to get into bunch sets and motioning and, and pulling guys and, and running, you know, watching the Super Bowl last year. I remember I, I'm pretty sure the first play, you know, was just uh, ISO. I'm like, yeah, they were in just twins, and they just ran ISO in the Super Bowl. about <laughs> as vanilla as you can get, you know. And, you know, they were running trap, and they were running wham, and power and counter. So I think, you know, the NFL teams are still doing that. I think they kind of know – they still hang their hat on that, that stuff, and they know it works because it's kind of always worked. And, uh, for, for us, it's just easy to teach. Um, it's not expensive. Uh, it doesn't take a ton of time. The verbiage is easy to communicate it. Um, everybody is on the same page. Uh, they know why we run it. They kind of know the mentality of, of why we run gap scheme and why we run power and, and what we want to do and how it sets the tone. Um, and how it wears teams down. You know, it's tough to go in a 10-round fight. Now, we might not win games 42-7, to 7, um, but that's okay. You know, we're, we're totally fine winning a game 21-14 um, and just being a better football team. Win's a win, man. They don't give you style we're, points we're, for how many you win by how many points you score. You know, we might hear less that our offense is boring, but, again, those are just things that come with the territory, I think. Uh, yeah, it's that's not boring. It's not boring, man. It's an acquired taste. They'll get used to it. That's, That's what right. I said. I said, this is the best stuff in the world. I, I don't understand. You guys just you don't see it. All those, all those North Dakota State fans seem pretty dang happy. So, um, I, yeah. I'm sure like yeah, it'll be an acquired taste. <laughs> well, Coach, kind of running up on an hour, and, and we've been talking about offensive line, and, and you kind of talked about, you know, college offensive lines you like to watch and, and find good ones. But uh, when you are watching another team's offensive line, What's some things that they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Man, I think one of the biggest things and, and really the first thing that I – if a team can do this, uh, it's, I'm instantly impressed. And it's and – it's, like they're running gap scheme. And if that front side double team can pick that backside linebacker up on a consistent basis, that, you know, that's I'm impressed with. If, if they're able to handle twists and motions and they're able to handle different fronts, but really, if that double team is able to get to that backside linebacker, you know, the way that it's supposed to happen, that for me is this is a well-coached team. Um, you know, if that tackle's not jumping off onto the front side linebacker, if they're not, the double team's not splitting, um, you know, those, that for me is, man, that team is well-coached. Those kids know what they're doing. 
Um, you know, if they look comfortable in a pass set, um, they look comfortable running protections. You know, those are things that stand out on film uh, to me. If they're communicating, you know, if I see a lineman calling out of a calling out a blitz or talking to each other, you know, those are things I think that really high level offensive lines do, and, and those are usually testaments to their coach. Coach Matt couldn't agree more. All fantastic points. Uh, it's been a blast to sit here and, and talk some gap scheme and some power with you. And I just want to wish you the best of luck this year, man, and, and keep fighting the good fight. You know, we can't, we can't let the, uh, the inside periods and the, the gap schemes and all that stuff go away, man. The game can't become seven on seven. Hey, you know, one of the best things about being a head coach is I get to schedule how much time we're in Pascal and how much time we're in inside run. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one of the best things about it. I said, you will never go over in Pascal. Don't worry. We'll be right on time. We may run over an inside run, but that's okay. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.